welcome to Smartest Energy Talks, the power market podcast from the next generation energy company. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Smartest Energy Talks. After the publication of party manifestos ahead of the upcoming general election, we're talking energy policy today and investigating which issues each party would tackle differently. Just to give you a brief introduction, I'm Simon White, communications executive here at Smartest Energy. Uh, and my role involves coordinating company positions on industry issues, as well as helping to put together some of our more regular content that you might be familiar with, things like the newsletters or our webinar series. Uh, Before I joined this role, uh, I worked in Smartest's policy and regulation team as well for just over three and a half years, having graduated as a politics student. And joining me in today's session is Emily Mason. Hi, Emily. Hi, Simon. I'm Emily Mason, and I'm Regulatory Analyst here at Smartest Energy, working within the regulation team to monitor and respond to regulatory changes within the energy industry. I joined the company around three months ago after completing a master's degree in environmental sciences. I attend a variety of conferences, industry meetings, as well as constantly reading up on the latest industry developments. I also edit The Insider, a weekly internal newsletter, to inform staff of key changes that may influence their departments. Of course, politics have a huge impact on the energy industry, so the past few weeks, the majority of my time has been spent closely watching energy pledges in the lead-up to the general election. Brilliant. Thanks, Emily. So let's get straight into today's session and begin with the overarching energy issue of reaching net zero. So net zero has been a particular issue over the last few months, ever since uh, outgoing Prime Minister Theresa May, as one of her last commitments, put the net zero 2050 target into official legislation. Whether that was a noble gesture or an attempt at a legacy, you can make up your own mind. But this week's annual emissions gap report, which came out from the UN, does suggest that the world needs to increase its climate action uh, fivefold in order to stay below the 1.5 degree rise target previously agreed at the Paris Agreement. Um, now, it's all very well and good putting these pledges forward, but of course they're much harder to achieve. Emily, what plans have we seen set out to try and achieve this? Yes, so um, the Conservative government released a net zero package a couple of months ago, and it's basically a range of policies that are designed to help enable net zero. Um, It includes a 1 billion investment in research and development of EVs, um, 200 million pounds of funding to design a commercially viable fusion power plant by 2040, um, as well as 7 million to explore how to create and use low carbon hydrogen. So as you say, Simon, it's all very well putting these policies in place, um, but recent studies have revealed that the UK will need to do much more to actually achieve net zero. A recent study has revealed that they'll need to reduce annual carbon intensity by 10% to achieve net zero by 2050, and it's currently only at 4%. Um, This 4% um, carbon intensity has mainly been helped by the phase out of coal, um, but obviously once this is complete, you'll need to up the pace once again. Thanks for that, Emily. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And it seems like plenty of promises have been made and that certainly from a conservative point of view, innovation is going to be key in reaching that end goal of net zero. Interesting to note here as well, you'd say that the Conservatives are the only major party and certainly of the four we're covering in this podcast uh, that have not outlined a specific figure of funding 
which is going to be aimed at the green economy, energy and environment on the whole. Of course, we need to address the other parties as well, and Labour, for example. Now, they voted in favour of a net zero by 2030 target as recently as their party conference, um, which I think was back in September this year. But recently, in in an interview on Radio 4, the Shadow Trade Secretary, Barry Gardner, uh, seemed to row back on this 2030 target. Emily, can you tell us a bit more about Labour's current position? Yes, so uh, on a Radio 4 interview, um, Barry Gardner promised to make substantial progress towards carbon neutrality uh, rather than committing to the original 2030 target. Um, This came as a bit of a shock to industry, as I'm sure you can imagine, Um, and it is thought this is a result of union pressures. Trade unions at the time when it was announced at the party conference were cautious of the 2030 target as they were concerned that it might result in job losses in traditionally dirty energy industries um, as there's not really enough time for them to progress into other jobs. Um, However, he did confirm that the 2030 target um, does still apply to removing emissions from power production. And he emphasised that this was to be achieved through the Green Industrial Revolution Fund of $250 billion. And these big figures seem to be key almost across the board for most parties, certainly. Uh, to take a look at the Green Party next, the, uh, the Green New Deal outlined in their manifesto details a spending commitment of £100 billion per year in this area. Um, do we think that's actually feasible? Yeah, I think it's certainly ambitious, Simon. Um, like you say, £100 billion per year is a lot of money. Um, but I think that after Labour backtracked on £250 billion towards 2030, I'm I'm not convinced that £100 billion per year couldn't just be too much of an investment. I do think, however, that the Green Party, although they're probably unlikely to get in, um, a lot of their policies are quite inspirational, they're quite ambitious. Um, and we've seen in the past other parties taking up elements of their policies uh, into their manifestos. So I don't think it's to be sniffed at all um, in terms of their ambition. Then um, they have sort of similar promises to Labour. Uh, they want to expand wind generation to provide 70% of the UK electricity. They're also developing demand side and energy storage infrastructure. Um, so, yes, I think it's probably not a feasible investment, but I think it certainly um, sets a good ambition for other parties to follow. And sticking with that 100 billion figure, uh, the Liberal Democrats have used the same figure but have planned to spread that out in terms of energy spending so that it comes out as 20 billion per annum over five years, the same as the Greens say they would spend every year. I guess they want to achieve this by 2045, which seems a bit of an odd figure when you look at what the other parties have put out there as 2050 and 2030. Do we think 2045 is just sort of playing the political game and saying they'll get there a bit quicker? Or is the Lib Dem target actually rooted in research? Well, there's certainly some research behind it. Um, The Lib Dems have found that if you plant 60 million trees a year, which is twice as much as the Tories are going to do, um, the Committee on Climate Change has said that will help to meet the net zero target. In fact, they're going to need to plant 1.5 billion trees Um, to meet the net zero carbon target. So they're certainly putting in policies that meet research. And they've also got policies in place in the lead up to 2045 as well. They want to ensure 80% electricity is funded by renewables by 2030. And they're also going to halt airport expansion, ban petrol and diesel car sales by 2030, which is 10 years earlier than the Tories. Um, 
but again it's only five years earlier that you could say it is a political gain but I, I don't think you can deny that there's definitely some research behind it yeah okay thanks for that Emily it's good to know that there is um, some sort of research or some sort of real driver behind it with that that figure from the committee on climate change as to how many trees would need to be planted and that's actually quite an interesting part of each party's manifesto this time around um, all of the four we've identified here have specific commitments to planting an amount of new trees so as to provide uh, essentially natural carbon capture and storage. Beginning with the Conservatives, uh, they're planning to plant 30 million trees a year by 2025, which, as you outlined, is half the commitment of the Liberal Democrats. But beyond this, they're also looking to install a new Office for Environmental Protection. Now, this would be an entirely new body, uh, which would be designed to hold government to account, as well as other public bodies, um, just to make sure that environmental concerns are always considered in the aspects of policy making. The major question um, that's been raised over this body so far is whether or not it's actually got enough power to be meaningful. So under the proposals, as they are at the minute from the Conservatives, this body wouldn't be able to fine the government for breaches itself it would be able to take government to court and the courts would then be able to issue fines or ask the government to take corrective action possibly if appropriate. But the other good thing about this proposed Office for Environmental Protection is that anyone would be able to complain to them if they think that policy is not following environmental regulations. So it will provide very good oversight and keeps specific scrutiny on government policy making. Beyond this, there's still the committed spend to CFDs, which Conservatives have in terms of low carbon funding. We only just had the most recent auction in summer this year. The biannual plan means that the next round will be in 2021. However, this will still focus on less mature technologies, as they're defined by the current government, with a focus mainly on offshore wind, whereas other parties are proposing to bring solar and onshore wind back into the funding fold. And to move on to a different source, um, the Conservatives are the only party which are providing a possible route back for fracking. Um, now this was suspended recently after a new report from the Oil and Gas Authority claimed that the tremors caused by fracking uh, were too unpredictable to be considered safe. So, Simon, do you think the suspension will be maintained after the election or is it just a PR stunt? Like you say, they're the only party with a route back for fracking. What, what's your opinion? More promises get made around election time, as is the case in any political cycle. Um, but given that the decision was made seemingly off the back of a scientifically evidenced report, it would seem difficult to me to reinstate fracking unless new evidence um, showing great certainty over the tremors could be provided. I think that's the case, particularly given the level of opposition that fracking in particular has historically created. Whatever the reason might be, if fracking were to be brought back, there could well be protests, disruption. So any Conservative government would have to weigh up the possible positive PR effects of this move now against any future negative perceptions. Moving on to the Lib Dems now, uh, they mirror the thoughts of the other major parties here by promoting an outright fracking ban should they be elected. Emily, from that we can see that Labour won't be supporting fracking either. But what other specifics are they proposing for low carbon funding? 
so Labour are planning to lift the ban on onshore wind farms that was introduced by the Tories. They're also uh, promising masses of solar and tidal investments, uh, including the 1.3 billion scheme for Swansea Bay Tidal Lagoon. They're also promising um, 320,000 climate apprenticeship schemes in renewables for young people. Um, there's also plans to revive nuclear. Um, they're planning to revive stall plans for the Wilfer nuclear plants on Anglesey as well as an NHS forest of a million trees to be planted across UK hospitals. In terms of the Greens, um, they've announced that they'd like to appoint a carbon chancellor um, who would be tasked with um, apportioning the £100 billion investment a year, which we previously discussed, to tackle climate change. Um, unsurprisingly, they're also planning to ban fracking for gas and oil, um, as well as new nuclear. They also want to ensure that wind provides 70% of power by 2030, um, with other renewables um, supplementing that. They also want to plant 700 million um, new trees. Um, which is obviously a massive amount compared to the 30 million a year and 60 million a year uh, from the Lib Dems and Conservatives. And in terms of spending, um, we already said they're planning on spending £100 billion a year, but they've also committed to spending 285000 an hour on new cycleways and footpaths across the country. Yeah, and I guess investment in things like cycleways and footpaths is designed to help us reduce emissions from transport enabling people to make their own decisions to not take their own cars necessarily um, and take a bit more control over uh, their own carbon footprint and moving on to sort of what consumers can look forward to being promised to from the major parties um, beginning with Labour this time uh, Labour have outlined what they're calling a people's power plan which would amount to 52 gigawatts of, of offshore wind being developed across 37 sites each with a 51% public stake in the wind farms. Now the plan for this would be that 80% of the profits would go straight back into investment in renewables, whilst the remaining 20% would be spent on helping regenerate coastal towns. This is partly due to social concerns, but also the fact that coastal towns are key infrastructure hubs for offshore wind farms, and so this sort of generation can help improve local economies in those areas. That's not the only area where energy could be coming back into the public sector under Labour's plans either. Under the proposals, both the energy grid and the supply arms of all of the big six energy suppliers would be taken back into public ownership. This policy has evolved over the past few years, beginning with outright nationalisation Labour then changed the policy to just be nationalising the grid uh, and now we've come up to this general election we're back in this sort of middle ground that we've reached over the course of a few years. Regardless of the nationalisation the other major pledge here for consumers is that Labour would like to upgrade almost all of the UK's 27 million homes uh, to the highest possible energy efficiency standard. Um, Emily, how do they plan to go about doing this? So they plan to achieve this through providing free home insulation and solar PVs for low income and social housing. And they're also planning to provide 3.4 billion for EV charging points and interest free loans for EV buyers. And as we mentioned earlier, there's also 1, 1 billion 
going towards research development for EVs uh, additionally. And this will all help um, to move towards the binding air pollution targets that were set by the Conservatives, um, but as yet they are undefined. Um, the Lib Dems are also pushing forward policies to help achieve this. They plan to put forward a ban on petrol and diesel car sales by 2030 and replace that by ensuring that all new cars and small vans are electric by 2030. They also want to implement a frequent flyer tax and increase investment in green public transport. Um, now they plan to achieve this through citizens' assemblies um, to debate new measures uh, which will help to speed up long-winded government um, decision-making. The Greens, of course, are also planning um, petrol and diesel car sales phased out by 2030. Um, and they also plan to create a government-owned company to invest in a fleet of new electric trains. Um, they said that they propose to create a golden age of train travel, but uh, they're also planning on halting HS2 developments, which could possibly be a bit of a conflict there. They also want to ensure that domestic flights lose their VAT exemption, so they'll be 20% more expensive. As I said before, um, although these can seem quite ambitious and controversial, um, they're certainly inspiring for other parties um, to put in similar policies. So worth watching. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Emily. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for now. So hopefully you found this interesting and informative and learned a bit about what each of the major parties have planned for the energy industry should they win the election upcoming on December 12th. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, please do head over to our website and check out our blogs, sign up for our upcoming webinars and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Informer. That'll enable you to get all the latest info and more insights just like these. So the last thing to say then is thank you very much to Emily for joining me. Thank you. And thanks very much from me. Make sure you look out for our next podcast too. You can subscribe via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and tune in as well. So make sure you signed up. See you next time and bye for now.